Well, today we're continuing in our series in the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is a short little book, only three chapters. And I asked everybody to read the book. And so I'm wondering, have you read Habakkuk yet? That sounds like about half. So the other half promise that you're going to have it read by next week, right? Excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, Actually, it's only 1,438 words. It's very brief. So I know that our church, everybody in our church is smart enough and able enough to read it. So please do so. Now, I'm going to just point out something to you about Habakkuk. It's different from the other prophetic books. And in case you're wondering what a prophetic book is, basically a prophecy that was given by the prophets of old um, is basically just God speaking to his people through these men, these prophets. Um, but the interesting thing about Habakkuk is that God is not so much speaking to Israel, although he is, but God is, is specifically aiming his message at Habakkuk's own heart. And so in this book, we find Habakkuk sharing his prayers and his findings with us, and in so doing... Habakkuk teaches us what real faith is. Now, some of you may have come from the word of faith uh, teaching or word of faith background, which, 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 which kind of teaches that faith is like magic powers. If you have enough of it, you can, you can do all kinds of, of things. Um, I'm going to tell you this morning that the faith that Habakkuk teaches us is, is very, very different than, than that notion, that idea that faith is somehow a magic power that if you have enough of it, you can move a mountain. That's a total misunderstanding of that passage of Scripture, by the way, and a total misunderstanding of what faith is. Habakkuk comes to God in chapter 1. He's got two major complaints, and he's laying it before the Lord. He's really quite angry because uh, he says, look, God, we are the children of Israel, but look what's going on around us. There's miscarriage of justice. In fact, there is no justice. Uh, people are violent. They're fighting each other. They're, they're uh, treating each other uh, terribly. Uh, God, where are you? Why are you not around? And then, and then God answers them and says, well, guess what? Uh, I know what's going on, Habakkuk. I can see what you can see. In fact, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going, to, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people, far more cruel than anything you've ever known or seen. And I'm going to use the Babylonians, the Babylonians to teach Israel and the nations a lesson. Now, this causes even more angst for Habakkuk. He said, well, hold on a minute here, God. It's bad enough as it is. Now you're going to raise up the Babylonians? This isn't fair. How many have gone before God and said that, hey, God, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Why is it, why is things like, why are things like this? God, where are you? What on earth are you doing? And God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, and they're going to discipline. They're going to, they're going to punish my people and the nations. God can see exactly what Habakkuk can see. And God is not going to sit back and do nothing. So Habakkuk says, God, are you, are you, does this mean you like the Babylonians more than me, these people who are so cruel? And God says, no, you missed the point, Habakkuk. They're going to be my instrument, my tool. But don't worry, they're going to get it too. But first, I'm going to use them. How many understand today that God is sovereign? And when we don't understand things, 
It doesn't mean that God has lost control. When we don't understand something, that doesn't mean that God doesn't understand something. Everybody gets that? And we talk about the sovereignty of God. We're talking about the fact that he is a sovereign. And if you don't know what a sovereign is, let me just quickly bring you up to speed. A sovereign is a king who has all power, all control. This is why we talk about the sovereignty of God. He is the king of kings. He is the God of the universe. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. And that, my friends, takes faith to believe. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about trusting God. We're talking about believing God, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. So Habakkuk, Habakkuk uh, he says, okay, uh, God, uh, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to climb up to my watchtower and I'm going to stand at my guard post and there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Now before we go any further, I don't want to just skip over this. I want us to stop and think about this for a moment. Here's what Tozer says. And to if you haven't read anything by Tozer, I recommend that you go online and get everything you can by A.W. Tozer. Tozer says it is dangerous to be so busy that you have no time to wait on God. The thing that concerns me as a pastor is that so many people today uh, do not take time for God. This, this notion or this idea that I'm going to wait on God, I'm going to do my devotions, I'm going to spend time, I'm going to set apart a time of the day when I'm meeting with God. This is something that almost doesn't exist anymore. People don't do this anymore. People don't recognize it as important. What a lot of people don't know is that for, for, for many, uh, many hundreds of years, the, the practice in most Christian homes is that the family would take time to wait on God. Well, what does it mean to wait on God? To wait on God means that you just stop your, your day, you disconnect from all the distractions of life. And how many know today there are more distractions than there ever have been you disconnect, you turn the TV off, you even turn off the music, and you just sit quietly in the presence of God. You open your Bible, you read a portion, you pray, you reflect on what you've read. One of the things I've, I've taught my kids is to get a little ruler and a pen, and when you're reading the Bible, underline those verses that pop out to you. And meditate on that, chew on it, make little notes in your margin. You should see all my Bibles, they've got all kinds of markings in them. Because this is what you do when you're waiting on God. You're listening. You're taking the time. And this is exactly what Habakkuk is saying. I'm not going anywhere, God. I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you got to say. But we live in a day and an age where you've got to get the answers right now. God, give me the frequently asked questions manual. How many know what I'm talking about? Every, every web page you go to, it's got the FAQ section. The frequently asked questions. They have all the, all the questions there, and, and therefore we don't have to have any sort of dialogue. We don't have to have any kind of conversation. We'll leave, leave everybody alone. That's the way it is now. I tried getting customer service with Shaw four hours on the phone. I'm not kidding you. And they finally, they'll say, well, why don't you turn to our frequently asked questions? I have, and it doesn't have the answer I'm looking for. And it goes on and on. How many understand today that God has called us into a relationship with him. 
That's why the Bible is not a, a long, long list. Do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this. And here's the frequently asked questions section, and, and we just have to... Listen, we're not technicians going to a technician's manual. We are in relationship with God, and that is why the Bible is structured as it is. It's full of stories, true stories, of God interacting with his people. And in, in looking at that, we learn who God is. Because if God had asked me my opinion about how the Bible should be done, I would have done it quite different. I would have told God, look, God, this is what you have to do. You've got to tell everybody what they can do, what they can't do, and be specific. Don't leave anything out. And God, God says, no, that's not how I'm going to do it. I'm going to give my Holy Spirit, and my Holy Spirit will, Spirit will lead you. And my Holy Spirit will apply the Scriptures to your heart so that you know exactly what God wants. So Habakkuk is before God, and he does have a relationship with God. He knows who God is. He knows God is good. We, we talked about that last week. We, we see how he addresses God, the Holy One, the Eternal One, my Lord, my God. He knows who God is. So he comes to God and he says, God, please speak to me. Last week we talked about Habakkuk's complaints. And today I want to talk about the clarifications that come to us from God that helps us to know how to live in this life, that helps us to know what we need to know and tells us what to do when God doesn't answer the questions that we have. Now, if anybody's here today living or laboring under this false idea, this, this notion that God's going to answer all your questions, I'm sorry to break it to you, but you're not going to get all the answers that you're looking for. What you will get is a clear picture of who God is and his love for us, but he is not going to necessarily answer all your questions. He answers many of my questions, but he doesn't answer all of them. And what do you think I'm going to do when I get to heaven? I've got my list. <laughs> I've got things I need answers to. But in the meantime, I'm going to share with you what we do with these questions that we don't have answers to. I'm hoping, I'm praying that you will receive the clarification from God that your heart so desires. So God tells Habakkuk why he is sending the Babylonians to discipline Israel. Israel's chosen her own way. They have basically said, God, we don't need your commands. Even though Israel is called the people of God, they say we don't need God. In fact, Israel now, at the time that, that Habakkuk writes, Israel has become as pagan, as heathen, as all the surrounding nations. They are no longer living as though they are God's people. And so God says we've got to discipline them. Israel is under judgment. Here's, here's how God sees it. God says, look at the proud. Look at the people around here. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Let's take a look at that first, first sentence in that verse. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. Here's what everybody here needs to know today. Because when, 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 
I get this question all the time. God, Pastor John, what do you think is the greatest sin? And uh, everybody has their ideas of what the greatest sin is. But I'm going to tell you what is at the base of every sin. And so, therefore, is the greatest sin. And it's pride. Pride is the problem. Israel comes to the place where they say, God, we don't need you. I don't need your help. I don't need, your, I don't need you meddling or interfering in my life. Let me just carry on my life in my own way. Thank you very much. Israel's become proud. And not just Israel, all the surrounding nations. Remember, Israel's now become like the surrounding nations. They're proud and arrogant. They're shaking their fists, their puny little fists in the face of God. In fact, we read through Habakkuk chapter 2, and we see and hear all of God's indictments against Israel and the surrounding nations. They're full of pride, which is the source of all sin. They love money to the point that they're cheating and they're stealing, and they're showing off. They're showing, they're t- look, at, look, how, look how rich I am. Look how big my house is. And I'm building a bigger house, and, and I'm brilliant, and I'm wise, and I'm smart, and I'm smarter than everybody else, and I'm richer than everybody else. But God looks on at their arrogance and their pride and their love of money. Interesting, isn't it, that TV evangelists will tell you that you can have God and money, where Jesus says you can't have God and money, you've got to take one or the other. You can't love God and money. And it gets worse. He says, There's, you people are heavy drinkers, you entice your neighbors to drink. There's orgies taking place, all kinds of evil happening. And to make matters worse, you're destroying the environment, that's right. The first envir- environmentalists are in Scripture. And I'm going to tell you, God does not look kindly on those who destroy the environment. Verse 17, you're destroying animals, you're destroying, destroying trees. You're murdering each other. And then God ends, ends his, his, his speech to, to Habakkuk by saying, and to make matters worse, you are worshiping idols. Things created by your own hands. Wow. Now Habakkuk, he knows that everything God is saying is true. Pride has filled every human heart. And I'm going to tell you, God detests pride. You want to come under the judgment of God, carry on in your pride. You want to know the discipline of God in your life, carry on in pride. It was what what had Adam and Eve evicted from the garden. They said, God, we don't believe you. We don't trust you. We think we're smarter than you. We think that we know what's best for us. God, you told us not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but we disagree with you. Who's stupid enough to go before God and say, God, I disagree with you? We are. All of us. That's our problem. We go before God and we say, God, you know, you've got it right on most things, but there's a few things we disagree with. How many know today that if you're going to make up your mind to follow God, if you're going to be a a Christian, a follower of Christ, then you do it his way every time. You don't get to pick and choose. I was talking to somebody last week who suggested that, you know, Christianity, the church in 2020 really needs to catch up with the times. Hello? 
A lot of people think that. We, we're behind the times. We're not really up, up, to, you know, up to date on, on where we're at as a culture, as a society. Can I remind you today that God does not bow to any culture or of any generation, ever. Amen. We have the word of God given to us. It is the truth that sets us free. It is the lamp for our feet so that we know how to navigate this crazy world we live in. So, no, we're not catching up with the times. We want the times to catch up with God. We submit to God because we believe that God is good all the time. We believe that God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. In fact, one of the verses that finds its way, not just in the Old Testament, but through the New Testament, is that verse that says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. A few years ago, there was a team of us that went to the Philippines, and uh, quite frankly, we had no idea what we were going to be doing, and I certainly didn't know what I would be doing. Well, it turns out that they had all kinds of speaking lined up for me uh, that I had not prepared for. They just said, oh, you're going to speak now, so stand up and speak. Uh, it just happened a lot. And uh, one of the things they asked me to do is speak to a, at a pastor's conference. So there's a whole room full of, a room like the size of this room, filled with pastors, and they want to hear what I've got to say. So I said, God, give me a word. What do you want me to share? And God gave me this verse. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I said to the pastors, you know, from in our tradition, we often will talk about Satan and how we have to do battle against Satan and how, you know, we have to stand on our guard and take out the shield and put on the armor and get ready to fight the devil. I said, look it, don't, don't fear the devil. Fear God. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You don't need to, need to worry about the devil. What you need to worry about is God. You want God's favor. You want God's help. You want God to be on your side. You don't want God to oppose you. This is fundamental to the Christian life. You need to understand that you need to walk in humility. And I'm going to tell everybody something today which might surprise you. Your biggest struggle in your life right now, God is allowing it to bring you to the place of humility, of utter and complete dependence upon him. The Apostle Paul, you heard me talk about him last week, the greatest Christian, arguably the greatest Christian who ever lived, the greatest preacher, the greatest evangelist, the, the most prolific writer in terms of uh, what's been contributed to the New Testament. He was a super-Christian. And for that reason, God allowed him to have a thorn in his flesh. And Paul says, I prayed three times, God, take this away, take this away. I can't stand it anymore. It's too, too difficult. And I thought you loved me. You know, those kinds of prayers. And where are you, God? And I do miracles. I raise the dead. But I've got this thorn in my flesh, and I can't get rid of it. What the thorn in the flesh is exactly, I don't know. But there's something, something sent to torment him. And why? To keep him humble. To keep him in a place where he's got to rely on God. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, this is where your faith comes in. 
The faith to trust that God knows what he's doing in your life. You think, God, why am I going through this? Oh, that's easy, to keep you humble. To keep you in a place where you have to depend on him. And this is what Paul understood. He said what? He said, God's grace is sufficient for me. I learned to embrace the thorn in my flesh. The thing that, he used the word torment. This thing that's tormenting me. I've learned to embrace it and to understand that this is the thing that keeps me connected to my God. So God says, look around you. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves. Their lives are crooked. And for this reason, God has to bring his judgment. When I told the pastors, don't fear the devil, fear God, it was like electricity went through the room. And they began to sob. They began to cry. They came forward. They knelt down at the front. They wanted me to pray for them because they understood that the greatest threat to their ministry, to their lives, to their marriage, to their family, was in fact their own pride. Wisely, wisely, these godly Men and women came and and sought God in prayer and in tears. I'm going to tell you today, there's a lot of things that you don't know about that's going on in your life, and you're shaking your head and you're saying, God, what on earth? And God is saying, keep your eyes on me, child. Get your eyes off of your circumstances. Get your eyes off of what's going on around you, and let this be the thing that causes you to run to Abba Father. Daddy, Abba Father loves you and he's working in your life. So Habakkuk understands. Israel has become so proud they've forgotten about their God. Their sin is the sin of Adam and Eve. So what's the reaction? What's the response? What should we do? Well, the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. They're living by faith, not by pride, not by arrogance, not by my own will, my own wisdom, my own ability, my own skill, my own ability to reason, my own logical ability. No, the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. They'll live by faith. What does this mean? I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to live by faith? I'm glad you asked that question. To live by faith means first and foremost that you maintain a relationship with God, that you trust Abba, Father. Abba, in case you don't know, is an Aramaic term for daddy. There's intimacy there. There's there's a personal, personal connection to, to God as Father. Not as a distant, unapproachable deity, but as a very intimate, personal God who loves us. And so the first thing you need to do is do what Habakkuk did. I will climb up to my watchtower, I'll stand at my guard post, and there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Listen, if you, show me somebody who's turned their back on God, and I'm going to show you somebody who hasn't waited on God in a long time. 
Show me somebody who's backslidden, and I'll show you somebody who has not done and is not doing their devotions. You need to do what Habakkuk did. You need to learn what it means to wait on God. Every Christian, if he's going to grow, every Christian, if she's going to advance in her faith and in her understanding of who God is, has got to take the time to hear from God. I've been doing this for over 40 years, and God still speaks to me. God speaks to me in such powerful ways. It's so real. It's not an audible voice, but it's his word. It's applied to my heart by his spirit. When's the last time you experienced that? Do you know how many Bible college professors that know the New Testament inside and out, they know the Greek and they know the Aramaic and they even know a little bit of Hebrew? They are experts, experts in the New Testament, but they're not even serving God today. Many of them are atheists. Many of them are disconnected from any kind of a personal relationship with God. What happened? They studied and studied and studied, but they didn't wait, wait, wait. You can fill your head with information. And I have a lot of people ask, well, what should I study? What should I read? And I say, read the Bible. Wait on God. Spend time getting to know him, waiting on him, so that you learn what it means to hear his voice. And that's exactly what we see Habakkuk doing in very dark days. If you're in the midst of struggle and questions and problems in your life right now, then the Spirit of God is saying to you right now, come to me and wait, wait on God. It's so easy to run to this prayer. I can run to the pastor and read, to, I can read that book and go to that website and listen to that YouTube clip. I got I to get the other book that the TV evangelist said, if I send money, then I'm going to get the prayer cloth and, I'm, and I get the oil and the water from the Jordan River. And if I just pour that on myself, then I'm going to fix this. And my knee will be... No! God's calling you into his holy presence. He wants you to hear his voice and allow him to minister to your heart in the ways that he knows that your heart needs to be ministered to. Wait on God. There's no substitute for this. I wish there was. I wish I had a magic wand. I could call everybody every Sunday. Come on up here. I'm going to sprinkle a bit of pixie dust on you, and I'm going to strike you with my magic wand, and you're going to go. All your problems will be fixed, and everything's going to be great. That's not the way we do things here. We believe in the power of Almighty God to transform a believer who has an intimate relationship with Almighty God. And the only way that that happens is in relationship to God. Turn off YouTube, turn off all the books, turn off the TV, the radio, and get along with God and hear his voice. You say, Pastor Alan, I tried it for 10 minutes and nothing happened. When it comes to your relationship with God, forget the, the microwave idea and think of the stove. It takes time. You've got to bask in his presence. You've got to get to the place where you have no distractions and you're alone with God. That's what Habakkuk does. God, I'm going to climb up to my watchtower. Hey, what are you going to find at the top of the watchtower? Nothing. I'm going to climb up there, I'm going to stand at my guard post, and there I'm going to wait for the Lord and see how he's going to answer my complaint. 
Listen, this is why we teach habit number one at this church. If you don't do habit number one, none of the other habits work. If you are in a, in a personal, close, intimate relationship with God, it solves all your problems. Will you show me somebody whose life is a mess? I'm going to show you somebody who hasn't talked to God in days, weeks, months, or years. You'd be shocked at how many people go to church, no relationship with God at all. God, you have to understand, is a God who wants to walk with you. Pastor Allen, is that in the Bible? Yes. In Genesis, the first three chapters, read them. God is in the habit of walking with Adam and Eve and talking to them. How do we know that sin has entered in? They hide from God. God, I don't want to walk with you now. That's what we do. You stop walking with God as soon as you entertain sin, as soon as you embrace sin, as soon as you cherish sin in your heart. I don't want to walk with God. I don't want to do my devotions. I don't want to come into the presence of Almighty God. Hey, folks, when you sin, that's when you need to run to the presence of God. Fall on your face and ask him to forgive you of your sins. And the Bible is clear that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's what you do if you sin. Don't run away from God. Don't hide. Run to him. And I can tell you, I know this from experience. That's what we all do. We all want to run away from God. Would everybody say amen to that? That's what you do. But God says, no, don't run away. I know what's going on. God's walking in the, in the cool of the evening. Adam and Eve, where are you? He knows where they are. He's God. He was hoping they would run to him, confess their sin, but they don't. They don't confess their sin. This is our problem, our pride, our arrogance. It stops us even from confessing our sin to God. We know we're in the wrong, and yet we don't do what we know we need to do because we're so proud. Come to God, run to him, wait on him. Learn what it means to walk with him. And that's why we say across church, you have to have a daily walk with God. Enoch walked with God. He walked so closely and so intimately with God that Enoch never faced death. The Bible says he walked with God and then he was no more. God took him away. Such a close friend of God. Noah, Genesis 6, 9. It says that he was, he walked with God. He was the only man who walked with God, who had a relationship with Almighty God. Abraham, he was declared a friend of God. Why? Because of his righteousness, because he believed God, because of his faith. Moses, it says that he met face to face with God in Exodus chapter 33. He walked, he talked with God face to face. He was called the friend of God. Jesus, even Jesus, the Son of God, who is God. We read through, the, through Luke's gospel. Read it. Read Luke's gospel, the whole gospel, and look at all the times we find Jesus praying and connecting with the Father, getting alone to walk with the Father. This is what we do. This is what it means to have faith. You walk with God and you trust him and you hear his voice and you do what he says. But what more? Well, 
Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. This is what we do. Do you know that this verse is mentioned at least four times in the New Testament? It's one of the most oft-quoted verses from the Old Testament in the New Testament. We find Paul mentioning it in Romans 1.17, saying the way that you are saved is by your faith in Jesus Christ, not by your works. Contrary to some religious uh, or even Christian uh, traditions, you are saved not by your works. You're saved by your faith. Your faith in God is what makes you righteous. Now, that's a surprise, isn't it? Because you'd think, man, if I was good enough, that'll make me righteous. But the fact of the matter is there's no human being in history who's ever been good enough. Not even me. What makes you righteous before God? is that you put your faith in the one who is righteous. You put your faith in Jesus. That's how you're saved. That's how you become a Christian. It's not because you're good enough, but it's because you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. The righteous will live by, by faith. So we wait on God, and then the next thing you have to understand is that we need to have faith. Well, what is faith exactly? Because this is, a, again, a very kind of a, a vague concept. Let me just quickly tell you. I've told you this many times. Faith is believing God and doing what he says. It's that simple, and it's that complicated. It means that you believe God, and you do exactly what he says every time. This is what we call moment-by-moment holiness. I'm doing God's will every time. That's what makes me holy. Holy means to be separated unto God. It means that you are separated for God's purposes. Hey, can I just give you guys a big, big surprise? Maybe you didn't know this. But in the New Testament, the early Christians, they were not called Christians. The term Christian, I think, is only used maybe two or three times in the New Testament. So what, was, what, were the, what were the people of God called? They're called saints. Did you know that? That's the proper name for a believer. You thought, well, hold on a minute here. You mean I'm St. Alan? St. Shelley? Hmm? Really? St. David? Well, there's a St. David out there somewhere, I think. But isn't it good to know we've got one too? You are a saint. The word saint, it's, you, you know the word sanctify, sanctification, sanctus? That's where we get the word saint from. It means you're, you're separated unto God. You're set apart for God's purposes. This is, this is what we're talking about. You and I are saints of God, set apart, set aside to be used by God for his purposes. And so for this reason, Jesus says, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. And then he says, and anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life. Look at that. Belief in the Son and obedience to the Son, these are interchangeable terms. 
Your eternal life is based on your trust in Christ and your obedience to Christ. You cannot separate the two. Now, some people believe, oh, as long as I've got faith, as long as I trust in Jesus, that's good enough. But what does that mean? It means that you obey him and you do his will every time. The reason you're in trouble right now, the reason your world's upside down and not making sense, could very well be because you have not been obeying the master. To believe God means that you believe that God and his word are the final authority. You don't add to the word. You don't take away from the word. You don't try change the word. You don't say, well, we've got to get the word up to date. We've got to get up to date with the times. No, God is the authority. We listen to him. We do what he says every time. He is the final authority. And so God says to love your neighbor, you're going to love your neighbor. God says to love your wife, you're going to love your wife. Oh, but God, you don't know my wife. <laughs> God says, love your husband. <laughs> you don't know my husband. There's no, there's no footnote in my Bible that gives exceptions to these commands. It means you've got to agree with God on everything. I have to agree with God on everything? Yes, you have to agree with God on everything. Why? Because that's what faith is. I trust in my God. I believe my God. I believe he's good. I believe his character is good. And I believe that he knows what he's doing in his heaven. God says there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. We must believe and put our faith in whom? In Jesus. Not in Buddha, not in Hinduism, not in any other religion. I know that that makes some people very angry when I say that. But I'm going to tell you right now that this is the way, this is the prescribed way, this is the way that God calls us to himself. It's through Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the door. You go to God through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You believe God and you do what he says. And when the world throws stones at you because they don't like what you're saying, you say, look, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what the message says. I do what God says, because I put my faith in him. Jesus says you can't love God in money, so what are you going to do? You're going to choose Jesus. God says that light cannot fellowship with darkness. What are you going to do? You're going to break off your fellowship from those who are living in darkness. Why? Because you can, the light cannot have fellowship with darkness. It's either the darkness is being overcome by the light or the light is overcome by the darkness, but that's not possible because light can never be overcome by darkness. At least not the light of God. So we're obedient to God. And this is why when we're in trouble and we refuse to obey him, we're confused. Show me somebody who's living in confusion, I'm gonna show you somebody who refuses to obey God. Show me somebody who can't figure out what's going on. I'm going to show you somebody who has made a decision to not obey God. Do you know that in the New Testament, there are at least 59 one another verses? And by that, I mean, these are commands, these are instructions as to how you and I are supposed to treat one another, care for one another, pray for one another, serve one another, submit to one another, love one another, give to one another, and the list goes on and on. This is what we do as believers. 
Jesus says, go make disciples. And so Cross Church says we have to obey the command of God and we are going to have a, a banquet. And I'm going to tell you, we're doing this in obedience to God. And this is why we ask you to come to the banquet, to help make it possible for us to carry out the work that Jesus himself has commanded us to do. I shouldn't have to pull teeth. I shouldn't have to do this. I should, it shouldn't be a struggle. It should be sold out. Jesus calls us to go make disciples, to evangelize. And the list goes on. We say, Pastor Allen, I'm not really sure what all this means. Well, let me close with this. Let me close by telling you the story about, about Job. Because Job, just like Habakkuk, cannot on earth figure out what God's doing. What is God doing? Now, you think you've got troubles? Let me tell you about Job, one of the wealthiest men of his time, and he loses it all, including his children, his sons and his daughters, and presumably his grandchildren as well. He's just lost it all. And his wife looks at him and says, you sad, sad, sad little man. Why don't you just curse God and die? Job loses his property. He loses his sons and his daughter. And then on top of that, to make matters worse, he develops boils all over, painful boils all over his body. And his wife says, just curse God and die. What's the use? Maybe that's you today. It's what you feel like doing. It's all, what a mess my life is in. I might as well just curse God and die. But thank God Job does not listen to his wife. And thank God Job doesn't listen to his friends because his friends are convinced that anybody who's gone through this kind of suffering surely must have sin in his life. Hello. You've heard that. Maybe you thought that yourself about yourself. The reason I got the trouble I've got is because of the sin in my life. I'm going to tell you, that's not how it works. You might be going through a difficult time so that God can discipline you. But I'm going to tell you, God has his ways. If we learn to wait on him, we begin to understand his ways. And here's what you need to learn about Job. Job actually is, is, has no sin in his life. And the tragedy that he's facing doesn't make any sense at all. And his friends trying to defend the honor of God to declare, Job, you've got to be in the wrong. And Job finally says, look, I've done nothing wrong. Job 31, 35, he says, God is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. Oh, that I had one, someone to hear me. Here's my mark. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me, that my prosecutor had written a book. If Job could be accused of anything, it would be that he had some pride in how wonderful he is, how brilliant he is, how, how good he is. But then God speaks up, and God's silent throughout the book of Job until we get to the end. And here's what it says. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. 
Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked behind it its barred gates limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here, you proud waves, must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay, pressed beneath a steel. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? And have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. I want you to know something today. God is sovereign and he's wiser than you and greater than you. And every problem you face today, any struggle that you face, you come before the Almighty who knows all things, who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the omnipotent one, the one who is all-powerful, the omniscient one who knows everything, the omnipresent one who is everywhere. That is the one that you are putting your faith in. That's the one you're trusting. And you don't understand what's going on in your life. And Habakkuk has come to the place where he understands, all right, I'm okay with this. I'm good with leaving life in the hands of the Almighty. Habakkuk, what about the questions that you have? And Habakkuk would say, I'm good. God's in control. God is sovereign. And this is exactly what God says at the end of chapter 2. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth fall silent before him. Your God is sovereign. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. He knows what's going on in your life right now. He's promised to never leave you and never forsake you. He's going to get you through this. Put your faith in him and start obeying him. You say, Pastor Allen, that's the clarification? Yes, that's the clarification. We're not in heaven yet. Does everybody know that? We're in Winnipeg. (laughs) This is not heaven It might be like heaven compared to other places, but it ain't heaven. We're passing through this land. This world is not my home. And if you thought that that's what the Christian life is all about, is how to set up heaven on earth, you totally don't understand the scripture at all. We're passing through. And I got to tell you, I for one am very glad of that. Because someday I'm getting a brand new body. (coughs) 
brand new body, no aches, no pain, no arthritis that twists my fingers. And better than that, no more death, no more dying, no more crying. No more sadness, no more sorrow, no more temptations, no more testings. No more darkness, no more sorrow, no more pain. No more failure, no more weakness, no more tripping, no more stumbling. Free, free at last. Free. In the meantime, it doesn't matter whether I understand what's going on. What needs to be clarified today, and God clarifies it for us, is that he is God. He's on his throne. All you have to do is keep trusting him and keep obeying him. Did you get it? Keep trusting him, keep obeying him, and he's got the rest under control. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand with me. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you, O oh God, for the reminder that you are sovereign and overall. There's so much, God, we don't understand. So much I don't understand. There's so many questions that I have. But God, today I declare my utter and complete dependence and trust in you. I know, God, that what I don't understand is not a problem because you understand. You got it all under control. God, in the meantime, we're praying. Every one of us, we're praying for the faith, for the grace to have total faith in you to trust you and to obey you. And we thank you, O God, that you give us your Holy Spirit who helps us. So we thank you, Lord. Give us the grace now to trust you and to obey you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Amen. Tell the person beside you, trust and obey.